welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Again, it's Mark 12, 28 to 34 on page 707. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, said teacher, the man replied, you're right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had, a- had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that you do speak to us through it. And we pray, Lord, today as we uh, have people from all different walks here, people who uh, uh, are Christians, people who are seeking, people who are here just to support, Lord, I thank you that uh, you brought us together this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your word will speak to us, that your spirit will convict hearts. And today, Lord, that uh, we'll consider what it looks like to live for you. So I do pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. Uh, So a little bit about me, if you don't know, I'm actually... Everyone always wonders how old I am. And so I'm actually in my late 30s. I'm Gen Y. And there's this trend that's going around on social media that I, I feel like is an attack on me uh, about Gen Y and Gen Z. And they, Gen Z are just made different. Uh, the way they text messages, the way they use emojis, the fonts they choose, the clothes they wear. Uh, I've been getting schooled, actually, by some of our Gen Z members uh, about the language I use. It's not in anymore, apparently or the font I use to caption my Instagram photos. Uh, and filters on photos? Don't use filters. It's, it's totally uncool to use filters now. Apparently, these are the things I'm getting told. Using, using particular emojis are outdated. You can tell straight away your Gen Y if you use some particular emojis. It's interesting, isn't it? Young people can identify what generation you are from based on your text messages to them. All right, I don't know if you, did you know that? It actually stands out. Uh, you know, apparently, you know, skinny jeans aren't in anymore, and I only have a wardrobe full of skinny jeans, and I don't want to, you know, that's just the way life is now, and, and I, I'm outdated, and I've got to accept that, that I'm a different generation. Uh, what's, what's interesting I'm seeing on social media, too, is identity, these other identity markers. You know, you put on your profile who you are, um, and, and to describe yourself, how you want people to perceive you, how you perceive yourself. Right, so you have these descriptions, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a foodie, I'm an accountant, I'm a mum of four, I'm a coffee enthusiast, I'm a doctoral candidate, I'm a student, I'm a blogger. Right, all these things in your, in your profile. Uh, what's happening a lot more recently is people are using even their pronouns as identity markers. He, him, she, her. I, I know why it's become a thing, I do know why it's become a thing, but at the same time I don't know why it needs to be a thing. 
you might not be on social media though. You might be off it. You don't know what I'm talking about at all. You don't use TikTok, any of that. But this is the world we live in still, isn't it? We live in a world where we have identity markers that we want others to perceive us by or recognize and judge or, you know, or how they recognize and judge us by. Right? The clothes we wear, the, 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 the degrees we study, the jobs we take, they're all identity markers. It made me think a little bit about, uh, about being a Christian. Unless you speak about it, unless you caption it in your social media profile, I'm a Christian that loves Jesus, how would people identify that you're a Christian if they just met you on the street? Your clo- the clothes you wear? The way you talk? Would someone be able to tell? See, Jesus addresses that question today in our Bible passage when he's asked what it looks like to follow God and his commands. Let's unpack it together. Over the last chapter, we find him in chapter 12 being questioned a lot by a bunch of religious leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, leaders like Pharisees and Sadducees, that's what they call it. They try to trap him. They find a reason, they want to find a reason to arrest and execute him. They want to catch him out, call him out to be a fraud. Because they think Jesus is, is causing trouble, leading people away from the, the Jewish faith. So we have these uh, different religious leaders coming on, t- on top of Jesus and asking him all these questions uh, about taxes and about marriage and the resurrection. And in our part today, the part that we just read today, it says one of the teachers of the law, another religious leader, comes to Jesus and he asks this question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? A bit of context helps here. In the Jewish tradition, right, they had uh, the law of Moses, and they had the, like, you think the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not murder, steal, lie, those sort of things. But there were also many other laws in the Bible, like in, the Levit- in Leviticus, in our Bibles, in Deuteronomy as well. Uh, there's all these laws, the law of Moses. But on top of those, over the years, uh, the, the, there, there were apparently another 613 commandments that were formed. They were formed by tradition over time in Israel that we don't even have in our scriptures to read. So you've got these hundreds of commandments that were created. Uh, amongst the Jewish leaders then, during Jesus' time, they would, they would banter with one another. You know, they, would, they would ask the question, which is the greatest commandment out of them all? Right? Don't murder? Do you think that's the greatest? Don't eat shellfish? Is that the greatest? Uh, it's like my friends who argue about who the goat is, right? the greatest of all time. LeBron James? Is it Michael Jordan? You know, it's, we could talk all day about that if you'd want. You know, this is guy is asking to say that question. What is the greatest commandment out of them all? What would mark and identify you as someone who follows and worships God? The answer is quite simple. Verse 29, Jesus says it. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, for the Jewish person, this was no surprise. Jesus is being uh, wise here, is being shrewd here, because he's using a very well-known commandment to sum up the rest of them. Right? A commandment that every young Jewish person, boy and girl, would have grown up with. That would have been engraved in their minds, taught again and again and again their vision for life. It's, it's actually called the Shema in Hebrew. I've got it on the screen. It's from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. Verse 4, I'll read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It was a commandment to be passed down from generation to generation to all your children. 
Children's, 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 children. Every child, adult will be memorizing this, putting it to heart in the way they live and follow God. They'll be learning about this in in synagogue, school, whatever it is. Uh, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let it be your vision in life. And so what Jesus does is he answers this question, this question that's meant to trap him with this Shema here from this, this, this reading. What we hear, uh, and, and what we hear later is that the teacher of the law actually agrees with him, right? That was w- later on in this passage. But what he's doing, Jesus, is he's actually summing up, uh, for example, the Ten Commandments. The first four of the commandments are actually about loving God, aren't they? You know, keeping the Sabbath, having no other gods except God, keeping his name holy. And the other six are about loving your neighbor. That's actually taken from Leviticus chapter 19. But loving your neighbor is a commandment about, you know, the, what, what the other six Ten Commandments are about. Uh, Thou shalt not steal, murder, covet, commit adultery, honoring your parents. It's all neighborly type of love, isn't it? He's summing it up. Love God and love your neighbor. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But is it? Because Jesus wants us, firstly, to to consider, Hear, O Israel, your God is one. Think about the one God that we worship. Jesus wants to, to have this exclusivity to it. Too often for us, it's easy, isn't it, to elevate things to this God status in life. Our relationships, our loved ones, our possessions, our careers, our wealth, our comfort, our achievements even. Don't we too often put them on this altar of worship in life? We make sacrifices for them. We're consumed by them. Our lives revolve around them. But Jesus says, love your God with everything you have. He is the one true God. The one who's at the center of our lives. There's a great church history father called Augustine, right, in the early few hundreds. And he, he, says, he said this, he said, love God and do what you want, do what you will. The meaning behind that is when you love God, everything that you do after that will be in response to your love for God. Will be under that umbrella of loving God. That's what the meaning behind it is. Love God, do what you want. Because everything you do will be driven by, centered upon your love for God. Your decisions, your time, your relationships, it'll be shaped by your love for God. For many, even in this room, you might think that Christians are often called to to obey God out of some sort of fear, fear of hell, or that we feel guilty, perhaps, and so we have this sort of slavish obedience to God. Well, actually, it's driven by love. When you love the, the laws of God and God, it becomes a delight because He's worth our love. That's how we see God. The laws aren't there just to be, to, be, uh, to be a party pooper in our lives. It's actually there to, to enjoy. Isn't it true in life? If, let me give you an example. If I, if I cooked a nice meal for my wife after a long day, we're both tired and I like some candles, make it all romantic, and she says, Mikey, thank you so much for, for spoiling me you know, and for loving me this way. Imagine if I said to her, well, it's my duty. It's my duty as a husband. For one... It'd kill the romance, right? Completely kill the romance. Pour, you know, cold water. But wouldn't it also be self-serving? Yeah, if I did it for me, because it's my duty, because I'm doing it just to make her happy. You know that phrase, happy wife and happy life? Man, that's so unhelpful, because at the heart of that is a self-serving heart, isn't it? Uh, If I said instead, well, of course, I love you. It's my joy to isn't that selfless and life-giving love, a self-giving love? The commandments of God are there for our good, yes, but to follow them, the commandments, it's a response of love to a God of love, isn't it? So think about why Jesus uses love to sum it up. This, this 
this original, the original commandments to love God, it, that, that, that original command was given in what context in the Old Testament? What context was that given in? The Ten Commandments, the law, they were given to the people after a big event. Do you remember what happened? Israel, they were living under oppression in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God rescued them out of that place. We call it the Exodus in the Bible. He, in his love and mercy for his own people, saved them, was leading them to a better land, a better home. He rescued them, and he gives them these laws. These laws so they can be set apart as God's chosen people. So the nations around them can see this God who rescued them. <coughs> it's the God who's, who's glorious, and the laws reflect that glory. So when it comes to loving God, it was a response to the God who first loved them. And isn't that what we also meet in Jesus? The God who loved us first. You see, the beautiful news of the gospel message is this, that God in his love sent Jesus to rescue us. We are enslaved to our sin. We are rebellious against God. It means we need a savior. Jesus came in love to sacrifice his very life for the sins of people like you and I so we could be free. So that our relationship with God could be restored. The one that's broken with God is restored now. So that we could know the great love of God seen in his unconditional love at the cross. So we could know a love that's not just transactional, because that's how the world works. There's always a transactional love. I give love and I expect love back. But it's a love that's driven by grace. Nothing we did deserves that love from God, but he freely chooses to give it to us in Jesus. See, Christians aren't driven by fear or guilt or duty. We're driven by his love. When God shows up on the scene to give us that type of love, isn't the, the greatest commandment simple then? To love God as a response to his love? Love God. But Jesus is actually, he wants to be explicit and comprehensive, doesn't he? Just like the Shema is. Because we all identify love sometimes in our own subjective human ways, right? Some of us love with our feelings and words. Some of us love with our actions and acts of service, but aren't very good with our words. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can we break that down? The parts that make us human, right? First, firstly, the heart. More than just an organ in our body that's keeping us alive, but it's our emotions, our feelings, our desires, our convictions. The heart that drives your decisions, your choices, what you love and, and hate and what at times will guide your actions and thoughts. We're all driven by our feelings. Men as well and women. You know, the desire for comfort, for peace, for love, for joy, that's heart stuff right there. In another part of the Bible, actually, Jesus talks about the heart. He says, they, they worship me with their, their words, but their hearts are far from me. Are we like that sometimes when it comes to loving God? Do we say all the right things and sound like we love God? Or are we just giving lip service to God? We can be uh, good, obedient people on the outside. Do all the right things, tick off all the religious boxes of good works and serve church and look busy. But does it come from the inside? A heart that loves God is transformed. Or is it that heart of simply self-serving religious duty? Will we love God with all our hearts? Secondly, to love with your soul. It's to love with your very essence, isn't it? An energy. You see someone put their effort into playing an instrument or cooking a dish for a loved one for a special occasion. Or when you study hard for those exams, man, you put your heart and soul into it. That energy and effort you believe is all worth it. What about to love with all your mind? It's when we engage our mind in reflection and study, right? To, to not only be thinking about God, but to, but to consider God in the way we make decisions in what we believe about our world and ourselves, in the way we engage with him through the scriptures. 
we believe at Providence, a way to love God with all our mind is to do Bible study. We do that in our small groups that meet midweek. We want to read the Bible, study, and engage God with our minds. Not because you have exams, not because you're trying to get a PhD or high distinction, but we want to know Him. We want to hear Him speak through the Bible, so we engage Him with our minds through the reading of His Word, through the study of it. We engage with the Scriptures. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to be in one, because that's where you can engage your minds with others around you to know and love God with all your minds. We need to be aware, because sometimes Christians only seek God with our minds. We just want to do rigorous Bible study, find the truths of the Bible so we can recite it, we can tell you the answers. Sometimes we don't feel anything, though. Our hearts aren't moved by God. Our hearts are cold. Yeah, you're great at loving God with your Bible studies and your mind, but what about loving God with your hearts? And similarly, there are some Christians, uh, when they feel something, that, that's when they love God. They don't, they don't engage with God through actually the reading of the Scriptures. They want to be at a church with lots of energy, lots of loud music, laser lights, smoke machines. <laughs> they believe loving God is all about feeling. And sometimes when what results is when that feeling isn't there, when, when, when the, that type of church isn't around for them to go to, they just don't feel like they love God anymore. It, it's a bit, a bit of a, a naive emotionalism. You see, the command is to love God with all your mind and with all your heart. Both matter. We need gospel-centered engagement, understanding, interpretation of the Bible, love God with all our minds, but we also need to engage with, 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 with music and things that move our hearts and, and nature, perhaps, and journaling and your church family, you know, all these things that help you engage with God with your heart to love God more and more. Let me go on. The lo- to love God with all your strength is to love God with your actions, with how you serve Him, how you use your time, how you give and what you do. Loving God with all your strength, thats I think that's a bit straightforward there. He goes on to the second greatest commandment, though. He, he doesn't stop with just the greatest. He goes, I'm going to give you two. He wants to help, help them to see the second one actually flows from the first. To love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the default for many of us is to love ourselves, isn't it? I mean, it comes naturally in the sense that we will splurge on ourselves. We'll eat good food, clothes, cars, holidays, whatever. Our, we desire comfort and joy for ourselves. It's natural that we love ourselves in that sense. But to love others like that, even if they haven't really earned it or deserve it, even uh, those who might not be like you at all or from the same tribe as you, would we treat them like ourselves? Uh, in the Bible, the, you've got this parable called the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to go into it, but read it in your own time. The Good Samaritan par- parable is all about Jesus teaching what, who your neighbor is. And it's, it's just it's enlightening to see you know, that it's, it, sometimes the people who don't, we don't think deserve it is actually the ones God calls us to love. Naturally, I think we treat people how we think they deserve, right? Isn't that how the world works? If they haven't shown love to me, then they don't deserve my love. But what if you found yourself in a situation where you've made mistakes? What if you found yourself in a situation where you're stuck in a rut, you're struggling? Wouldn't you want a bit of compassion? Some, of, you know, uh, a bit of grace, a bit of mercy? I know it's easy for many of us to be very proud about these things. And you're thinking, well, well, Mikey, just don't stuff up, <laughs> so you don't need anyone's help. Well, sure. <laughs> we all need help, though, don't we? So Jesus says, love others in the way you love yourself. This desire to love others can only come from loving God, though. Uh, I always say this, it's an overflow of our love for God. When we love and know God, our desires change. We want to love others, too, because God's love drives us to do it. 
It's not that you have to do it. It's that you, you want to do it. You get to do it. The truth is, if we didn't have God or no God, why would we even bother loving others anyways? It's particularly strangers. Why would we bother? Uh, if you're not a Christian here today, why do you do good? Where does that desire to, to care for victims of injustice come from? What is good? Where do we get our sense of morality? Where do we even get that? Caring for our fellow men. Where do we get that idea from? Humans should care for human rights. We believe in that. To care for equality, to care for those who don't have a voice. But why? Who decided that was a good thing to do? Why is the survival of the fittest not our moral compass? Like the villains in the movies. Why are they villains? Because they only care for themselves. Why is it that morality matters? Uh, I do want to give you a possibility today. Perhaps it's because there is a God. Perhaps there is a God who created you and I and wired us to know love, to give and receive love. Maybe it was God who created the moral order that our society enjoys today because he knows what helps humans flourish in a world where selfishness and pride is our default. If you're not a Christian here today, I'm sure your Christian friend here would love to talk to you about that. I, I think they're waiting for you to ask your questions. We want to invite you to get to know the God who in love formed us and in his love sacrificed his very life for ours. Not because we deserved it, but it was actually when our hearts were far from him, he made the first move. He gave up his one and only son. For the church here, though, this commandment sounds a lot like our vision statement, doesn't it? Loving Jesus, loving each other, loving our world. It's an overflow. Start with Jesus. Loving Jesus. It begins with him. And it overflows into the, the things he calls us to love, the things he loves. Our church family, those outside who don't know, know Jesus. We share his heart for others, for our neighbor, whoever they might be, because we know a God who first loved us. The greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can, can any of us do that perfectly, though? It sounds like a really high bar, doesn't it? Love God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know, how, <coughs> how do we do that? Because every day I'm just consumed by myself, what I need to get done throughout the day. Uh, it sounds like a high bar. I mean, Megan and Mabel, you guys are coming into the, you know, getting baptized today. Welcome to the Christian life. I don't think we can do it perfectly. I mean, honestly, I think it's really hard to do really well sometimes. There's only so much energy and capacity and patience we have. Let's be honest, people are just hard to love sometimes. I'm really hard to love sometimes. Ask Heidi. <laughs> we are God who is love uh, and loves in a way that only he can. And I've seen so many churches burn out or feel exhausted trying to love God with their everything. That they're left feeling exhausted. Some even leave the faith. They turn bitter and cold towards God because they thought God wanted too much of them. I want you to hear this. You can't do everything, and that's okay. Let me tell you what will both empower you, but will also sustain you for the long run. It's your trust and faith in Jesus. While you might fail to do it perfectly, Jesus obeyed the greatest command perfectly when we couldn't. He loved God perfectly when we couldn't. He loved our world to the point of giving his very life and dying on the cross for us. While we can't perfectly obey these commandments, Jesus did. And so it's through our faith in him, what he did on our behalf, we can find rest in him. While also striving for it, while also accepting that we won't do it perfectly, and that's okay. Because your life is centered on Jesus. He's the fuel that empowers us to continue to love God and love others. And it's in him we find rest as well. So friends, let's be marked by love. Let that be our identity marker. 
Let people see who you are through your acts of love for God and for others. Let that be your vision in life, like it is for our church. Let it shape everything you do. Let it be what clothes you. Let it be the light that people see when they meet you. Because not only is it our greatest commandment, it's how the world will know that Christ is our Savior, our one true God, the one who sacrificed his life for us in love first. Let's pray for that. Father, help us to be a church marked by gospel love. A love that's sacrificial. A love that's driven by grace. A love that makes Jesus known. May we live with you at the center. May love for you consume our hearts and our soul, our mind and our strength. May you give us hearts of compassion to those around us, seeing them just as you see us, in need of grace, in need of mercy, in need of love. Help us, Lord, to be a people who have been transformed on the inside by your grace so that we aren't living out of uh, some sort of obedience and duty, some, uh, some external veneer of good works and religiosity. Help us to be marked by the gospel, though, a heart that's been transformed by your love. May those who don't know you see your love through us. May it be revealed to them so they too can find the forgiveness, peace, and joy that comes from you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.